I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we explore those principles and cultivate those virtues who help, that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, happy Easter, folks, as we are recording now. It is the fifth day in the octave of Easter, Thursday of Easter week. As this broadcast is, is airing, we will have just come out of a Divine Mercy Sunday and so grateful for just the gift of re- renewed joy in, in Christ's resurrection. Um, and I'm still basking in, in some of the glow and refreshment of coming out of the legislative session and, uh, and grateful for all of you hanging in, in there with me as, as we've come through a, a really busy season. Excited for our next guest on the program. I'm joined this afternoon by Bishop Donald DeGroote, Bishop of the Diocese of Sioux Falls. April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, ch- child abuse and some of the woundedness that the church has experienced and and still experiences uh, the effects of um, in some degree. So, Bishop, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. It's an honor to be with you. So, as I mentioned, April is National Child Abuse Pre- Prevention Month for us um, for us as Catholics, I think this this can call to mind really our serious obligation to love, protect, and form children. I know for myself and my wife as parents, this is something that's at the forefront of our mind all the time. And of course, too, for you know all of our, our good priests and, and you as a bishop, you're living a life really as fathers, fathers of, of a family. And, and the care of children is, is so, so important um, to parents, to fathers. So this this month it, it it can bring to mind too some of the um, some of the really the pain to be just candid and authentic some of the pain of, of woundedness and sinfulness even of of the church's own ministers um, as we think back in the diocese of Sioux Falls to 2019 there was a um, the diocese published a list of names of those priests who were credi- credibly accused of sexual abuse of a minor um, most of the priests in that lists were deceased, all others were long laicized. You know, this move was under, undertaken, I understand, as an act of transparency with the, the, the hope of promoting accountability. Really a hope, too, that um, greater trust amongst all the people of God and, um, and the ministers of God's church, that with God's help, we can just, like, we can heal. So kind of with that as Maybe just a, an entry point for a conversation, Bishop. I'm wondering if you might be willing to just share a little bit about some of the other ways in which the Diocese of Sioux Falls um, seeks to build and keep trust in this really vital area, so importantly, um, as we seek to safeguard and form our precious children. Yeah, I love the uh, the focus on the, uh, the sake of our children, uh, but also the very authentic expression of uh, not only the, the weakness, brokenness, but the sinfulness mm-hmm. um, of certain members of the church, clergy, or others, could be volunteers, for example, whatever. Uh, and the tremendous hardship that that creates uh, for survivors and for uh, sometimes called victims, but more commonly survivors, and the tremendous uh, long-term impact these things can have and so I turned first to uh, just what's stirring in my own heart literally right now is just uh, a real compassion and love for those who have suffered uh, abuse um, as kids or even as adults, whether they're males or females, uh, from clergy members or any member of the church. 
Um, and I think one of the one of the things that I continue to learn that's so very important uh, when we have compassion is we suffer with. That's what compassion means. We suffer with them. So the suffering of uh, those who uh, just uh, help those who've had such tremendous hardship and such uh, suffering in their lives. If we just use the example of uh, of abuse, uh, child abuse, and in this particular case, even in a more particular way clergy sexual abuse. And I think it's just so important as a leader and as, as leaders, as Catholics, but certainly myself as Bishop, um, I've learned the importance to um, express sorrow mm-hmm. and um, if you will, an apology, but meaning in the sense of, I'm sorry for the hardship of those who have experienced these sorts of things. And it's my deep hope. And I, and I mean this very sincerely that anyone who has been abused uh, that that's, those sort of things would be reported to law enforcement and other agencies um, so that the healing for them can begin. So first we start with them. Uh, secondly, um, the focus more particularly, I loved your your beautiful expression, Chris, about a serious obligation, right? To love, protect, to form our children. Um, part of the whole goal that I think is so important, even in the safe environment uh, types of things that we do in the diocese, and I've certainly have learned in my own home diocese of how important that is, and we really need to do due diligence and training people, because in order for uh, a really concerted effort uh, to really protect is, uh, youth and kids and even vulnerable adults from the woundedness, the sinfulness of members of the church, even uh, ministers within the church, so deacon, priest, bishop, whatever, um, it's really, really, really important that, that we are very, very attentive to learning the signs of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. So in other words, um, how do we, what sort of observable things might uh, children be expressing, what their, their reactions to things, or perpetrators? How do we watch for the types of things that they do as a way to draw in uh, take advantage of, if you will, um, and sometimes called grooming uh, somebody that they would later then uh, abuse. So I think it's so important that it's it's the formation of the children so that they're protected and we help the kids know, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I was in the cathedral just over the weekend and I asked the, the, what the mother was there and the little kids said, you know, um, we're not supposed to talk to strangers. And I said, that's wonderful, right? So there's an example of a parent, right? Mm. Teaching a, a child to really mm. be protective. Now, mm. certainly, you know, they have to learn, well, what does that mean? And how does that apply in every situation? It was a delightful, beautiful little moment. Um, but forming the conscience, not just of, of, of uh, us within the church, but um, that we become ambassadors in our other places. So as lay Catholic men and women to be out in the world looking for the signs where there might be perpetrators, uh, within the church and outside the church. Mm. So I think we really have a beautiful opportunity to form adults, uh, volunteers, as an example, all clergy, all staff. That's why we have the safe environment procedures we do. Every year there's a, a formation, a training thing, obligations you sign off on. Uh, so I'm just grateful for the efforts that have been taken. Um, also because of my own experience uh, in, in my home diocese and the tremendous hardship of so many beloved beloved souls who've suffered so much, um, just the importance to make sure that um, now I as a bishop, that we have really, really good up-to-date best practice policies and procedures, uh, not just in parishes, Catholic schools, uh, but 
we're, we're doing a lot to form people, right? And, and how do we be diligent about that? Or if there has been someone that's maybe has shown some signs, have we adequately delved into that mm. to make sure that there's nothing there? And so we're so blessed to have uh, a lay group of people, which has been in place here in the diocese for many years, um, that these sort of cases can be brought to. So it's not just me as a bishop trying to make the best judgment I can, but we actually have people who have expertise uh, in things like law and law enforcement and, you know, uh, physicians and those kinds of things that can really help us say, well, what's, you know, the sorts of behaviors of a particular clergy person, for example, um, and has that, uh, is that person process these things? Are they healthy? And if not, then they advise me what to do. So those are just some of the examples. So updated best, pa- best practice policies and procedures, training of people, and then having experts that can advise me as a bishop on uh, where there's questions or concerns, a, a topic may come up. And of course, law enforcement, anytime there's uh, any um, sense of credibility of, of a uh, potential abuse, uh, encourage people to take uh, take the step to, to reach out and to reach out to law enforcement and, and ask for them to check into it or uh, child protection agencies. You know, it was something you've mentioned a couple times too, Bishop, just your home diocese. And it's, I understand um, too that you've had a, a bit of personal experience uh, just as a pastor yourself with with a victim. And I, I'd like to ask you, and obviously respecting, you know, confidences and so forth, if you might be willing to just share a little bit about just that relationship and, um, you know, what, what your own experience has been as a, as a pastor with, uh, with this area of woundedness. Sure. And, and I won't share anything that would uh, violate um, anything that hasn't already publicly been shared by um, even um, the survivor and survivors that I've worked with. Um, I would say that I, in God's beautiful work in my own life, he's, he's given me a heart for those who've been wounded in various ways. And, and this would be one example um, so I really experienced the Father's love in my own heart uh, for those who might be grieving a loss of a loved one, right? It could be lots of different things. Um, and the particular case that you're referring to um, is not has been a very public thing. So it's been in the papers and so inspired uh, by some of the family members of this particular family. Uh, it's back when I was named pastor um, of a parish in uh, the St. Paul area, St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, where our last uh, clergy sexual abuse case had happened. And it's a very public one. So there was actually three boys within the same family that were mm-hmm. uh, abused. Um, and so just the incredible damage uh, that that had done and the, the agonizing experience for them and the compassion, the suffering in my own heart for them and trying to love them. Mm-hmm and assist them and their mother particularly, um, who was um, uh, assisting and was uh, was on staff. And so there's all these dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, um, I just, I cannot say enough about how I admire that family and the suffering that they've gone through. And in uh, particularly amongst how they have grown through this. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important when we deal with things like, um, of this matter, it's always a tremendous wound, right? So it's not like we can't replace what happened in the past, but with the grace of God and the help of others, they can find deepening ways to process these tremendous hardships. It doesn't mean that they still won't have trigger points, 
um, as, as that tremendous impact psychologically even just has on them, let alone spiritually, right? How do they relate to God and why did God allow this? And those wonderful questions. So it was a tremendous privilege and opportunity for me, if you will, to sit at the, at the feet of disciples of the Lord um, who had been so deeply harmed and to learn from them. And I learned the importance of listening, the importance, the importance of a sincere apology from someone on behalf of the church to step into that. Um, if the perpetrator had never apologized, for example, or other, some other church leaders. So I was so privileged with that. And uh, to see a couple of the members, especially who've just been um, one, of the, one of the boys, uh, it just, the experiences he had in his own then friendship with God and how it's grown and what an incredible young man he is, married man, father, and uh, just so proud of him and what, how he allowed the Lord to work in his life. And it shaped my heart. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really beautiful. And, uh, you know, just to, to, to give witness to the workings of God in the midst of this, this sort of brokenness, I think is a, a great testimony for, for all of us who might struggle um, with with the brokenness of the world, mm-hmm. and he, especially the brokenness that that exists within the church, which is yes. which God desires to be so spotless and and holy. What are just through your both your personal experience as a, a pastor of a parish, but now too as a, a a bishop with responsibility to teach, govern, sanctify as an overseer of a uh, the church in a diocese. What are your desires for how the church, um, as Christ's body, a body of believers, how she might um, how she might grow, change, sort of um, continue to step forward into the future with like the confidence of the gospel and its saving message, even despite this brokenness that that she's experienced within her own ranks. Oh, great question. These are just some initial thoughts that come to my mind, Chris. Uh, first of all, I think it's important that we all, uh, myself included, continue to learn about, um, you know, ch- child abuse. And, uh, and as we know, it happens in many, many, many different situations, right? So it's not just within the church as an example. Uh, but especially within the church, we should be super diligent. We should be, as you said, God so desires that radiant holiness. And yet with broken instruments, right, as we all are. How do, uh, for example, one of the great obstacles this can bring to people of good faith um, is it can be, and it is incredibly scandalous. I remember how scandalized I was uh, in the role that I had, not only as pastor, but also serving as vicar for clergy and and needing to help process these various cases of the past and, and try to figure out what to do with them. And so, and all the things that were in the papers around that time back in uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, Uh, The tremendous scandal that it brings, um, and I think it's so important that we remember that the way God chose to uh, design the church is it has a a perfect aspect, that is God within the church, and yet it has the humanity. And as ministers, for example, myself, uh, as a priest and bishop, um, I'm both very human and I'm supposed to be very holy. And the only way that works is I keep turning to God in humility and asking for the grace that I need. I keep learning. I need to um, help others uh, as well. So for prayer, for healing, for survivors, to pray that people will be, all of us, to be really diligent about protecting, preserving the sanctity of life, especially in our young, right? Mm-hmm. To help protect them because the tremendous hardship 
Uh, and then often that sort of thing can precipitate and it, and it sets them off on a very difficult pattern in their life. So I think there's so many different ways that we can, we can do it. And I need to continue to try to uh, learn how I can do it better and what might God be asking me to do. But I've been very blessed to have survivors in my life to teach me a lot. Mm. I really feel like I have become a disciple of them, men and women. Uh, because I've been privileged to work with um, with several of them uh, in my last years, and even even uh, somewhat ongoing. So um, those would be just some initial thoughts that come sure. to my mind. No, and and you're just having worked with um, been in relationship with survivors, no doubt has been just an occasion of great uh, grace for those that maybe haven't experienced this sort of abuse themselves or within their own families, but are nevertheless, as you, as you use the word scandalized, um, for those who would feel maybe cynical, disenfranchised, mm. like numb mm-hmm. to the church, to the, to the Lord, what, what would you have to offer to those who are just kind of like, you know, fooey, on it all, um, that, that have, a that their heart is, has been closed to the church in some way by this, um, the experience of, of recent decades. Any sort of significant trauma in one's life uh, has a, uh, the types of things that you're responding to or that you've indicated, right? The numbness, the disillusionment, all those kinds of things, deeply, deeply scandalized. Best thing we can do is bring them to the Lord and ask for healing of those memories um, but also I would really encourage uh, the beautiful expression of like separating out the sin from the sinner. Mm. So, uh, but it's also separating out the humanity from the spiritual within the church, right? So the power of the sacraments, regardless of the holiness of the priest as an example or bishop, um, it isn't, God doesn't withhold the graces from the good people of God. So the sacraments are still effective, Right. So we might be a dissolution by a priest or even uh, church leaders and mm-hmm. how we or others have handled it and just scandalized by that. Um, how do we then rise above it with the grace of God? We turn to him in humility and say, God, only you can help me through this, right? Mm-hmm. Help me heal from this painful trauma and this disillusionment and this um, scandal uh, and sin, Right. I mean, name it for what it is Uh, and the tremendous hardship upon others, especially by leaders of the church or leaders, meaning either whether some were perpetrators like those who abused or if leaders handled it inappropriately. Um, So how do we not uh, like throw the baby out with the bathwater? Right. That old expression. Well, we turn to realize, no, there's a sacred part here that's above and beyond this. Because broken humanity, whether it's in financial matters or some other way, there's all kinds of dysfunction because we're human beings. Um, but to not let that, or even even another uh, person within the, uh, another parishioner, right? To not even be scandalized by their behavior, even if they look, or they pretend to be holy, and yet we realize there's something else in their life that's not really uh, integrated in their sinfulness to pray for them, pray for conversion, pray for healing of their lives, pray for salvation. Um, so it's rising above it with the grace of God, but not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, meaning not throwing God out because of the other aspect of the church, the human nature. I, I was on a, at a parish mission a couple of years ago, and the mission was being given by one of your brother bishops, uh, Andrew Cousins, and he used... Um, 
kind of he, he explained a method of prayer I've heard you describe before too, acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. And as I heard him describe what he meant by acknowledge, sort of acknowledging our difficulties before the Lord, he said something about it, it being our place of greatest difficulty or or that place of sin or that place of hurt, that that's precisely where the Lord wants to meet us and save us. Do you, do you think that that might be an opportunity for us, you know, even in the midst of this difficulty, that the Lord is at work in this and we can give our hearts to him once more in this difficulty? Well, that's certainly the invitation. You're right. You know, sometimes it's the big question of why did God allow these things to happen? Well, Mm. God intends good things, right? That's the holiness part of the church. God allows other things. So sometimes we speak of it as his permissive will. He permits people to do things that are har- uh, cause harm to others, for example, and, and, and uh, abuse of minors or vulnerable adults would be a good example. That There's many, many others. So uh, certainly we have an opportunity with the grace of God, but I know in my own life, as I was processing these, you know, you have a, a psychological part you're trying to process mm. and how do you then relate that to the Lord? Now, what I found is that I needed both, right? I needed the the psychological processing through these things. How do I get my head around it? But the way that I could get it around it properly was to understand that even when sin, God brings about amazing things. Mm. And having just celebrated the um, the Easter vigil, I was so struck this year uh, in that beautiful proclamation right at the beginning when it speaks about the necessary sin of Adam necessary. I was reflective. Why necessary? Well, it's a manifestation of how much God loves us, that even though we were sinners, Christ loved us. So it can bring us to a much deeper understanding of the mercy and the love of God and the call for us, even if we've been unjustly treated, maybe never abused. Maybe we have been abused uh, for those, for listeners, some listeners. But the point being is God can bring us above that. The hardship is still there. It doesn't mean it doesn't take that away. But God gives us the grace to not remain uh, stuck, Mm. that his grace can bring us new hope. And we can be uh, like the example I gave with this one survivor and just how dynamically alive he is in the Catholic faith. Mm. And this is a survivor. How did he get there? Mm. The grace of God Mm. and a lot of his own humility and allowing others in his life to help him realize we have to separate out the sinner, the sin, from God. Yeah. And it's actually the sacraments that bring the life. And God's grace brings the life that enables us to find what we're really longing for. Because without it, we can be disillusioned. We could leave the church. We could do all kinds of things. We're not going to find what our hearts are looking for. Mm. It's only in God that that rests. So, Bishop, you've... Um, you've been the bishop of the Diocese of Sioux Falls for a little over a, a year now, and you've given your diocese a, a vision, your vision, to um, to form lifelong Catholic missionary disciples in God's love. So as you're seeking to cultivate um, missionary disciples among your flock, I guess maybe a two-part question. Do you have a concrete proposal First, what are any maybe concrete practices that you'd like your flock of missionary disciples to employ as they, just in their own interior life, their 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 life and relationship with God? What are those concrete practices you'd you'd like them to 
use themselves. Um, but then maybe second part of the question, what are those concrete practices or habits you'd like your missionary disciples to, to employ as, as they seek to love and accompany others that have been wounded by the sin of child abuse in some way, either maybe personally, relationally, through the scandal of it all, et cetera? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, back to that point you made earlier on the, uh, the types of approach to prayer, acknowledge what's going on interiorly, relate it to the Lord, receive his love, and then respond out of that love. So in it's a way, it's a context, it's approach uh, through which we can um, enter more deeply into friendship with God. So I'd say the first and most important thing is authenticity before God and an openness to receive what he wants to give us. Right, So he wants to give us the, these hearts to be missionary, to be dynamically Catholic, to be in lifelong learning and formation of uh, the school of love, if you will. We look to Nazareth and we see Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the school of love expressed perfectly uh, in God's beautiful, beautiful plan, but in a very, very ordinary way, right? So I think it's important we, we go authentically to the Lord's, we pray very, very diligently. And what I mean by prayer is just being really authentic with the Lord and just there's different types of prayers we can use, devotionals, scripture reading, praise and worship, all kinds of things. But just being authentic. We might say, well, I don't know how to pray. Then think of it as I just want to talk to my best friend. Mm -hmm. So authenticity, prayer, the sacraments. If we've been wounded in our life or we've wounded others, run to confession, right? And we're all wounded. We all need to be forgiven of various sins. Uh, so run to confession so that we can let the stuff go and not remain in shame or I'm not lovable enough because of some sin in the past or some weakness, whatever that sin might be. So it's just running to the Lord, asking for the help, then just receiving and believing the truth of who we are in God's eyes. We are his beloved adopted sons and daughters, and to taste that love, to relish that love, to believe it. And it fills everything we want. And by its nature of God's love, it seeks the good of the other. And that will help us reach out to those, especially most wounded. Bishop, in closing, would you be willing to offer me and all listeners your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, as we uh, enter into this month and especially being mindful of uh, the problem of clergy uh, sexual abuse, but also in a more general way, uh, abuse of minors and vulnerable adults, men and women, males and females. We just pray, Heavenly Father, for healing of anyone who's been offended in any way, for the courage to come forward to speak out to law enforcement um, or others who can be of help to come to the church and to receive the graces of the sacraments and um, outreach and support and encouragement in ways that we can help and help all of us, Lord, to be attentive to the needs of others, to be diligent, to watch for the signs, to learn for the signs of perpetrators so that we can be ambassadors of God's love with all of our eyes, all of our hearts, all of our minds to help everybody in the journey to heaven. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit descend upon all of you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. Ah, you're welcome. And thank you for tuning in, dear listeners. Join us next week. I'll be joined again by Dr. John Schaff, Professor of Political Science at Northern State University. We're going to be talking about uh, sin of racism and what that might mean for us as Christians 
living in the public square. Until next time, live well. Thank you.